Welcome back to Lighthouse Theology Chats again, Michael. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Hannah? I'm good. I'm good. Um, tonight we're chatting about some of the most frequently misquoted Bible verses. Um, so uh, three particular verses that we're going to look at that people um, may often take out of context or apply it wrongly. Um, going to look at why that may be a problem, um, some of the dangers with that, and also talk about you know, some of the applications uh, or right interpretations um, and, and why you think that's the way it should be read. Um, but we also just wanted to say it's not about who is right or wrong or, you know, being prideful um, about having the right answers kind of thing. Um, you know, we don't, we don't want to be just trying to puff up our ego. That's not the point of talking about this, um, but rather... We, we know in theory that the Bible has authority um, over our experience, but if we find that um, our experience doesn't match up with what we think God has promised, then our experience suggests that God is unfaithful and untrustworthy. So, um, you know, if what we think we understand from these verses doesn't line up with what's happening in life, then um, we're at risk of doubting that God is fulfilling his promises and um, suffering from feeling hurt or rejected by God may even lead to walking away from the faith um, or because of something that may have actually been a misunderstanding of what God has actually promised, uh, if that makes sense. So, mm. as yeah. Well, as well as that, you've got the, um, well, here's an illustration. You've got, say, imagine I'm writing you a letter and you know, it's from a long distance away. I know this doesn't happen anymore. No one writes letters, but <laughs> just imagine I'm writing you a letter um, and in it are a bunch of different things um, sharing uh, about me and my life and maybe some encouragements to you or some instructions to you or something. And then you get it and imagine you don't actually read it properly. You just like grab one sentence and then just make it mean whatever you want it to mean and you haven't actually considered what I might want it to mean, mm. there's a problem there. It's kind of rude because like mm. I've, I've, you know, I'm the one who's written the words and it's my intentions and my intentions mm. in the words are important. Um, and it, it's um, not only going to potentially lead you astray, as you just mentioned, but um, when we're thinking about misinterpreting the Bible, it's not just misinterpreting a theoretical book. It's actually getting what God says wrong, which, you know, at best is rude, <laughs> at worst is far worse. Um, so it's important as a relational thing that we want to actually understand God's intent in every passage. And we won't always get it right, but it, it makes sense to prioritize talking about what things actually mean and then what they mean for our lives. Hmm. And the closer we are to uh, understanding things as God intended, the better it will be. Yeah, because he has our our good um, in what he has said to us. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So let's jump into the first one, um, which a lot of people know. It's Jeremiah twenty nine verse eleven, which says, "For I know the plans I have for you," declares the Lord, "plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future." So often this will be misunderstood um, in terms of prosperity gospel, which we've talked about a bit in another episode. 
um, assuming that God has a specific plan for all of your life and uh, you'll never face any harm uh, or people may take this verse to mean you'll receive uh, material and physical blessings right now immediately. Um, so what can you speak to us about you know, anything more about why that in particular is dangerous and, and what else can you say? Yeah, so the context originally is that the people of God in the Old Testament um, have been exiled, as in kicked out of their homeland, um, the promised land, and they are now foreigners living in another land. Um, and God is promising that his plan is good for them, despite the situation that they're in. So if you read just even a couple of verses in the context, it says from verse 10, the verse before the one you read, it says, this is what the Lord says, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place, as in this place, the promised land. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And obviously in the context, that future is the future of life in the promised land. So he's basically saying you're in exile, but you're not going to be in exile forever. Um, I have a plan. It's to prosper you. It's to bring you back to the promised land. And so that's the context. And so it really has... Um, uh, only very what I call like secondary applications to us. The first application is to the people of God at the time. Um, if you just take it as like a verse and you think, okay, I'm having a hard day, but I know the plans, uh, God, God, I know that God has plans for me, uh, you know, plans to prosper me and not to harm me, plans to give me a hope and a future. Um, well, in one sense, that's absolutely true. Like you could, you could apply this in some sense to our promised land, but the important thing to note is that's not now. So God does plan to prosper you and, and he, he has, you know, a hope and a future in store for you, but it's not like next week when, you, you know, your circumstances turn around or it's not like in three years when you finally, you know, um, can go on the holiday and pay off the mortgage and all of that stuff. It's mm -hmm. heaven. So the most um, helpful application out of it is not about the here and now and God promising to prosper us here and now, but in the same way that he prospered the Old Testament people of God by bringing them back into the promised land, he can and will prosper us by bringing, bringing us to the permanent promised land, which is, which is the new creation. So, um, I've heard this heaps of times from Christians and it really is like a feel good verse. Like I'm, I'm having a really rough time, but you know, I know God plans to prosper me, which again, like there's a half truth there. It's just the prospering comes in heaven. In the meantime, you might have to suffer a whole lot and you might go through a whole lot of harm and that's God's intention because he's sovereign over all things. And, um, he's with us in all of that. And there's still comfort about the plans of God in all of that. He is, um, a God who plans every detail and oversees every detail. So he's in control of everything, but, but it's not, we can't imagine that there's some kind of physical or material or um, uh, bodily um, prosperity that's ours just around the corner. Mm. Um, I mean, it is just around the corner. If you die, 
yeah. Yeah. Sorry, that sounded very <laughs> like I was making fun of dying. I'm not. Yeah. I'll stop that. <laughs> I was thinking about um, you know, the faithful Christian who is um, you know, facing persecution that's really severe for the gospel or something. And if mm. if we're using a verse like this to encourage them, well, it may actually not be that helpful. Yeah. Um, things may actually get worse before they get better. Um, and that better may be a long way off in our human years, but um, still fantastic for eternity, what we yep. have to look forward to. So it's not not trying to, um, you know, say, oh, we shouldn't have any joy in this verse. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's not that. Yeah. Um, not, not trying to swing that way, but just, yeah, trying to um, not have, um, I guess, false hopes yep. um, from it. Yeah. Yep. What's the next one? Uh, the next one is Philippians 4.13. Uh, which is I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Yeah. So typically um, used for personal motivation, a, um, a bit of a pick-me-up to, you know, finish a test or a race or, um, you know, maybe not maybe not something trivial, you know, maybe um, really difficult things. Um, and, yeah, but... How do, how do people misapply that? How, can you expand on that for us? Yeah, so I can, I mean, I, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. In my NIV translation, it just says I can do all this through him who gives me strength, which is helpful because then it points me to think, what is the this mm. that it's talking about? But if you just go, I can do all things through him who gives me strength and you just whip that out. I've seen like America, particularly American sports people, um, quote this verse about their sporting achievements. And in one sense, there is, again, like there's a half truth there because it is only by the grace of God and the power of God that they're able to achieve anything at all. So it is through God that they were able to, you know, win, you know, the championship ring or whatever it is that they're talking about. Um, but to use this verse isn't um, that helpful because you can end up in a place where you think, uh, I can achieve anything because God can help me to achieve anything. Mm. And that's not true. So God actually, I mean, God can help you to achieve anything because he's God, but there's no sense in which we think, um, you know, once we set a goal, it's guaranteed because, you know, God's on my side. Uh, I, I could set a goal to be able to, um, you know, just thinking about American sport, uh, make it as an NBA basketballer. Um, but, and, you know, theoretically in a world where God is God and he can do miracles, that's, I guess that's theoretically possible. But for me to quote this verse and say, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Um, yeah, it's, it's pretty see-through. You can see it. It's just not a helpful way to apply it. Hmm. And yeah, if, if we experience that we fail in the thing that we set out to do, that's not a reflection of Mm. Christ's inability to um do that thing uh yeah if it wasn't something he promised well it's not on him it's on us for misunderstanding and using this as some kind of promise to achieve great things yeah um again this all sounds really negative it sounds like really (laughs) negative you can achieve great things um but they might not be every goal that you set out to achieve and you can't use this verse as kind of like a stamp of i can do all things through him who gives me strength it's not it's not right or helpful. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, the context though gives you like what, what does it actually mean? You know how I said it in my NIV translation, it says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. You just go back and you figure out what is, what is this that it's talking about? Um, Paul says, verse 11, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. So what is the thing that Paul can do through God who gives him strength? It's just being content. Mm. That's it. That's the only thing he's talking about. Yeah. That no matter what his circumstances, he can be content. Um, so the right way to think about this verse is whether, whether I'm having a bad day or a good day or a bad season or a good season, I can be content because God can give me the strength to be content. Mm. And that's it. That's the application. Yeah. It's um it's beautiful fruit in his character that's produced through uh, lots of ups and downs. Like it's probably yeah. it's well you can see from the verses it's not been a, a simple, easy road to get there. Yeah. But it's a blessing that God has given through those circumstances yeah. to produce that contentment in him. And yeah. that's something to to aim for. Yep. And this is Paul writing Philippians, the letter from prison. Mm. So he's, he's actually in a time of suffering at that point. Mm. And most people wouldn't be content there. But Paul is. Why? Because he can do all things through God who gives him strength. Yeah. That's great. Next one is Matthew 7, verse 1, which is, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. So uh, people are pretty quick to say no no you can't judge me it's in the bible yeah point to this verse um and it's often used basically whenever you're disagreeing with someone um and people feel judged mm-hmm. um would you say it's yeah 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 and i think um it's mostly in my experience anyway it's mostly non-christians pointing it out to christians mm. so christians generally you know probably don't misquote this one this is more misquoted by the world around us um and you know the, the point that jesus is making in matthew, in matthew 7 if you read the rest of the verses which is really you know that's the part of the point of what what we're doing here is context 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 mm. matthew 7 do not judge or you too will be judged for in the same way you judge others you will be judged and the measure you use it it will be measured to you why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. I think that's an important word. Mm. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So the point of the passage is about hypocrisy. Don't judge if uh, you yourself are a massive hypocrite in this particular uh, area. So, like, it would be wrong um, uh, to come alongside somebody and, you know, say, oh, mate, I noticed you got a bit of a problem with lust when you were the one who literally last week committed adultery with six different women. Mm. There would be hypocrisy there that Jesus is condemning. Um, we, we also know that it's not like a blanket don't, don't judge because elsewhere in the Bible it actually commands us. To judge mm. 
So um, in 1 Corinthians 5, in John 7, 24, John 7, 24, Jesus encourages us to judge correctly, not just by mere appearances. Um, and Jesus himself has literally just made a stack of judgments right before he says this. So if you go back to like Matthew 5, which is the same sermon on the Mount, Jesus has like slammed people for their anger, um, saying it's as bad as murder. That's a judgment. Um, like he's saying, you, you, your lust is as bad as adultery. That's a judgment. And he's aiming it at people. And so, you know, the Bible does encourage us to judge, but we've got to think, what, is it, what does that actually mean? And so like a helpful phrase that we've, you know, heard a fair bit at Lighthouse is judge, but don't be judgmental. And that kind of picks up the sentiment of Matthew 7, where Jesus says, don't judge. Um, don't, don't be judgmental. Don't look down on others. And especially if you yourself have a problem with that sin, don't look down on others. Don't be judgmental. Mm. Um, but make judgments about what's right and wrong in your own life and the life of others. Um, be a judge without being judgmental mm. is the way to apply it. But you, Hannah, were talking about how that's actually even tricky um, in and of itself. Yeah, yeah. I think I think it's um, there's a great temptation there to kind of use that phrase, oh, it's okay to judge as long as we're not being judgmental. But I, I think it's important to recognise that we are so prone to sin that it can be very, very difficult to not be judgmental. Um, and yep. I think it's really helpful to, to bear that in mind and um, don't take it lightly, particularly for whenever you're dealing with areas or sin issues that aren't black and white, that may be more of a conscience thing, which mm. is so many areas. Um, yep. So, yeah, just uh, keep, keep humility um, and gentleness in any rebuke um, and it, even if you're not rebuking someone to their face and it's just you and your own heart god cares about our heart um, and so being mindful of um yeah i guess asking his help to search us if we are being judgmental in our hearts and um and to recognize it and and not um uh, just let that linger but yeah. um yeah try to be clear on his word um and and I guess rebuke people when that's when it's appropriate. Um, in most, yeah. in in some Christian circles, there probably needs to be more judgments. Mm. In other Christian circles, there probably needs to be less judgmentalism. Mm. And I think probably um, we land like we I I do at least land in that second category. I got no problem making judgments, and I reckon most people in our circles at church, um, at Lighthouse, probably the, probably the same. Um, so therefore, we got to work on the judgmentalism side of things. And as you're saying, Hannah, it's not just what you might say, but what you might think and what's going on in your heart when you're making assessments about others. Mm. Yeah. Particularly because a lot, you know, it's we don't know other people's motivations and their yeah. heart. We we can only base things off of their actions, which may reveal, um, their heart, um, to a degree, but mm. yeah, that we don't, we don't know people's whole story. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Leave it there. Yeah. Sounds good. That was okay. a good one. Good stuff.